The reading is from the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not shot... He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, two weeks ago we embarked on this this series in uh, the book of Ruth, and... uh, If you keep chapter 2 open in front of you, that would be um, helpful. The the story of Ruth, as you will have seen from last Sunday, and I'll recap just very briefly, um, that hymn captures the mood of uh, Ruth chapter 1. The story begins with a famine, and the book ends with the birth of a baby, very much linked to Advent, as some of us will know, and that will be unfolded in the course of the next chapters. What we've seen from uh, chapter 1 is that there's a famine in Bethlehem. It's It's a physical and a spiritual famine. It reflects the atmosphere of the book of Judges, where the life and the spiritual atmosphere of God's people was on a low ebb. And within that, uh, we have Elimelech, who we sense something of his fickleness, that uh, here is guidance that is untested. We're not, we can't read too much into that, but there's no reference whatsoever or prayer, or guidance. And oftentimes, decisions that people make have consequences on others, as was the case with Naomi and the death of Elimelech and his two sons. And as a consequence of that, the third, the second character here is Naomi. And we have a a, a tangible sense that she is an embittered woman. She speaks openly about her bitterness and she's not backward in coming forward in saying that it is God that has done this and God who has failed her. It's not just circumstances. She is quite clear um, about this and uh, you see that uh, in verse uh, 20, for example. Her name, Naomi, means blessed, sweetness. And she says, In chapter 1, verse 20, do not call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Why? Well, here it is. Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? This is this tangible sense. Here is a very embittered person. 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Well, you can't be clearer than that, can you? It's not just bad luck. It's not, it's, this is, God has failed her. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? In the, in the grip of sorrow, oftentimes, how do we work with grief that is unresolved? Sometimes I have to listen to people who say things like that in the death of a loved one. That's the context of that. So you have the fickleness of Elimelech, guidance untested, this embittered woman, grief that is unresolved. Here's an interesting comment uh, which somebody said to me recently in a different context uh, with perhaps more psychological problems. Nevertheless, it's this, that when you bury uh, bitter emotions or negative emotions, whatever they are, they are buried alive. They're buried alive and they surface. And you see that, of course, with uh, Naomi. Grief that is unresolved. And then the third character, as it is in chapter 1, is the selflessness of Ruth. She emerges exemplary in many ways. And yet she's not blessed with, uh, if you like, uh, a Bible church, a praying family, an evangelical culture. Nothing of that at all. And yet she seems to stand head and shoulders above those who did. And that's an interesting thing that often happens. And what comes out of Ruth? She's not a child of the covenant, not blessed in that way. And this amazing confession. Uh, some commentators have said here is one of the greatest confession in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. And so you have it in verse 16. And it's often used of marriage or people who enter into a promise by choice. Here is Naomi. She said, look, don't trust my God. Don't come to my people. If, if you do that, look what's happened to me. Don't. It's not the best way to um, evangelize or speak about God, is it? But she was. However, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death, separate you from me. And so it's a marvelous confession. Deeply humbling. Burning her bridges behind, not keeping her options open. This is all or nothing. It's a confession of faith that uh, comes from a Moabitess. How extraordinary that is. So now then, that's a summary of chapter 1 in a sense. And as we come to chapter 2, we could summarize it like this. Boaz, here's an interesting character that comes into the narrative. He is surprised by love. Surprised by love. And, and Ruth is overwhelmed by grace. And Naomi, she's humbled by God's providence. That's a, I think that would be a good summary. It's a good summary. Well, let's look at uh, this second chapter very quickly um, with that sort of introduction. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, and we'll follow it in sequence so you'll see how it unfolds before you. What you have, uh, particularly with Ruth, is faith that is working. Faith that is working. Chapter 2, verse 1, and so on. Uh, and Ruth 
the Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Technical word, grace. Faith is working. And here is Ruth in contrast, and it is stark contrast, to Naomi, who is so disillusioned, so occupied with her feelings that life isn't fair and her hurts and all of this. Naomi is almost out of the picture. Whereas Ruth, in contrast, is not prepared to sit back and wait and wallow in self-pity, though life has certainly dealt them harshly. No question about that. And this, you know, is the great step of faith. Sometimes we might be passive about our faith. Maybe it's been drummed into us so much that it's all by grace and we can't do anything. That oftentimes we don't do anything at all. Here is faith that is working. It's a working faith, not only a believing faith. It's not going to wallow in self-pity. Now, this is a step of faith, I say to you, because it's rooted in the covenant, in God's promise. And we've got this reference, and if you turn to the book of Leviticus, I know it's a tricky book to find. It's page 120 in the church Bibles, if you're using that, Leviticus chapter 19. Just to get the roots of this, and then we'll move uh, quickly into the story. What we're saying here is this, that this is a step of faith on the part of Ruth even though she is not a child of the covenant. Leviticus 19 and verse 9. We might say this was part of Jewish culture, which she wouldn't have known about. It's part of God's promise. 19 verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. Who is Ruth? She's poor and she's an alien. Why? I am the Lord your God. Actually, I gave it to you in the first place. Now, I'm not sure that Ruth would have known that. Naomi would. But she acts in a way as if that's the obvious thing to do. So here is Ruth. Just picture her now. Um, She's poor. She's a widow. She's an immigrant. We don't like immigrants. And we don't treat them well. I don't suppose they were any better then. It's not the best place to be, is it? It's not the best place to be. But that could be, it could be, a picture of you tonight. Or me. Here we are. Uh, We have faith. Perhaps it's not working out too well. We have unresolved hurts. And we have Buried emotions, but they're not buried dead, but alive. And they surface. It may be a picture of us not only unresolved, but we're unsettled. 
because of life's experience and it's been really harsh and it's not fair. Now then, what is faith then in, in, in that scenario, if you like? Well, faith means there to, to trust God and his word with as much as you have, with the knowledge that you have. And don't forget at this point that Ruth is actually an outsider. I think for the most part unwelcomed. And if you read carefully into the story again, she's vulnerable. When Boaz says uh, 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 um, that they may not harm you, the, the word could be that you wouldn't be raped. And we know a great deal about uh, people trafficking that uh, they, they, they can be extremely vulnerable, ready for exploitation. So it's not, a, it's not a good place to be. Is it theoretical to say there that faith in God means to trust his word? It's not much, is it? But it's enough. It's enough. But what we have here is God's providence... Look, look in verse 3. is an interesting phrase here. So she, Ruth, went out and began gleaning in the fields behind the harvester. And there it is. As it turned out, as luck would have it, as chance would be. It's an interesting turn of phrase. As it turned out, Boaz. Now, when we look at our fields in, in this country... Uh, they, they, they're often defined and people know which part of land is which but it wasn't like that it's the locals who knew so you wouldn't know if you were going on to somebody else's land and that's why you get this interesting instruction that is given by Boaz to her don't go with the, that side follow um, the, the men that work for me and the girls who follow them gleaning harvesting Here's God's providence. As it, should, as it worked out, uh, Boaz comes into the scene. And look, verse 4, here he's introduced. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord blessed you, they, they call back. And that's the way people today in Israel, Shalom Malechem, the peace of God be with you. Uh, we, Hannah and I were at the Indian restaurant this afternoon, first time on a Sunday we've ever been there. It's lovely. And uh, Sadiq has moved in upstairs with his five children. And uh, I gave him um, a gift. And I said, when he thanked me, I said, Chada Havis. And that is similar culturally. Um, blessings on you or, or good luck to you. That sort of phrase that's used. In our culture, in Western, we don't... We don't respond in similar ways. That's how it was. And so this sort of context that Boaz gives this greeting, they reply. And then this Ruth catches his eye. One commenter actually says that it was love at first sight. Well, I don't know. You, you decide. Boaz is a mature man and he begins to notice this stranger from another culture here is God's providence, as it is from verse 4. Faith working. Let's move on to love relating. And this is the, this is the heart of, uh, of chapter 2. Ruth's prayer or longing or desire 
is shared with Naomi. Look in verse chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grains behind anyone in whose eyes I find favors. In quotations. It, it, it may not be a prayer, maybe just a longing, a desire. That someone would show favor. Somebody, even to an alien, to somebody outside of the covenant, in these close-knit communities, would be kind to her, would show grace. Well, that's a big ask, isn't it? And yet, that's exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. In the context of faith working, something unexpected begins to unfold. What do we mean by grace? Well, of course, we know it's favor given to someone who doesn't deserve it. And not doesn't earn it, can't earn it. And as a Moabitess, she has no right to be there. She's not an Israelite. And she would be the bottom of the social ladder. But yet the challenge of this account is this, that grace comes through an unexpected person. And so here is Boaz. Look at verse uh, 10. It's in the context of her working. And uh, at this, this is chapter 2, verse 10, she, Ruth, bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor? Why have I found such kindness, such grace in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? It's almost inconceivable to her. And look again at verse uh, 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Now, she knows her position and she knows the social standing and the culture. And she's not being presumptuous. It's, 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 it's a lovely example of grace working. And the channel of this grace is Boaz. Now you may question that perhaps he had ulterior motive. It still comes whatever his motive was. But what you have here, and you mustn't lose it, is this. You have a whole series of and, I, and it's in quote-unquote coincidences. Someone has rightly said coincidences tend to stop happening when we stop praying and tend to increase as we trust and pray and give our lives to God daily. Here's the harvest. Ruth happened to be in Boaz's field, she didn't know. And Boaz, his timing is perfect. You see it in, in verse uh, 4 and verse 5. He, he, he gives that traditional greeting. Then he says, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose woman is that? Whose young woman is that? Which family? Where does she belong to? Who is she? 
a series of coincidences that are going to have massive implications. And it's not unrelated to this Advent season, as you will know as you read uh, the end of the book. Coincidences. And so unfolds for us now the beginning of human love. Ruth and Boaz. Read the account uh, for yourself. But, that's a good story in and of itself, but it seems there's a bigger canvas. Undoubtedly, here are two people who are drawn together, Ruth and Boaz. But on on a bigger canvas, here is divine love. All together, beyond their experience and expectation. And so, as Ruth comes home and she talks to her mother-in-law, Naomi, look at verse 20. She, accounts, she, she, she recounts her experience of meeting Boaz being in his field. And here is, here is Naomi uh, speaking to Ruth, verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Flashback to the death of her husband and two sons. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Interesting phrase which we'll come to uh, in a moment. So it's a lovely picture. It's a picture then of, of love that is human and divine. And it's a picture of grace that is common grace and saving grace. That God is, that, that he is providing for them during a period of famine. That they would pre- be preserved and blessed. And he's providing for the next generation through their offspring. Common grace. God is good to all people. And saving grace. Along with that, like the two parallel lines of a track, you see, that saving grace and common grace. And it said, you know, when you look at these into a straight line, they seem to, they often seem to meet. God is working in his providence. And here is love that is relating, human and divine. And then the last is this hope awakening, verses 17 to 23. Bringing love into a home that is um, embittered and divided by unresolved emotions, is a wonderful blessing. And that's what happens here. In, the, in this last uh, part of chapter 2, love, bringing love into the home, changes things. Or oh, their needs are the same, their sorrow is real, but yet it changes attitudes. And up till now, Naomi, all she could do you sometimes meet people. They may not externalize their bitterness in your face like Naomi. Perhaps they should. But all she could do was to live out a life blaming God. Blaming God. And expressing her bitterness. But with love coming into the home... Even the way she speaks begins to change. Look at verse 20. 
It's the first time she would use this word. Instead of being embittered, she says, the Lord bless him. The peace of God, the blessing of the Lord be on him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. Now this change came about through new hope, a new hope. And this hope is rooted in Boaz here. He's wealthy, he's influential, but he's family. Now, those of us who know these cultures, family, if you you hit one, you hit them all. They're together, they stand together, fall together. That has its strengths and it also has its weaknesses. But the change comes about. And it comes through this new hope that is born, rooted in Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Now, it's an interesting phrase here, and uh, I'm sure you can appreciate it. A lot of people have, have discussed this. What is it? Well, let's just, let me just uh, quote to you this idea of the kinsman redeemer. You find it in Leviticus 25. You can read about that uh, at your leisure. It, it really is the principle of redemption that God has written into his word. And it gives assurance to Naomi. She would know that. That's how she was brought up. That Boaz would rescue them. For him not to do so would bring shame upon him. He was duty bound to do that. He could do it under law. But the atmosphere of this now, he's doing it out of grace and by choice and with relish. Because Ruth is part of the deal. Boaz could redeem the family from poverty. The family of Elimelech, that he'd mortgaged his family property and his debt. Sometimes we enter into the blessing of other people, other times we enter into the mistakes of people. But something is involved here also, and it is this that the wife of the deceased went with the property. Oh, it's all right to pay the mortgage if you've got plenty of money, but the woman's part of the deal. Ruth. That which would be a problem to him was the deciding factor. He loved her. And instead of simply obeying the law which he was duty-bound to do, you have grace and favour, and blessing, and a new beginning. It's a lovely story of, of human love that is woven together with the providence of God. And so Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer, not only to give security, but ultimately a child. That though her family was as good as dead, Naomi says, a child is born. The future is secure. And through the line of Moab, the people who are not the covenant, God is going to bring about a greater, a greater kinsman redeemer. So let's conclude. 
here it begins with guidance untested. It's all very well if you make decisions, but it does impact other people. And if there are hurts or grief that are unresolved, that too will spill over onto other relationships. It's not just a private thing. And where we experience grace, whether that's common grace or saving grace, we don't deserve it. And we humbly would say, God is good. Though life is often hard and unfair. So summing up chapter 2, we could say this, faith that is working. But working through our disappointments. Not simply sitting back and waiting, like Naomi. Faith that is working through our disappointment. And then secondly, love relating in our bitterness. It's not an easy context in which to see love flourishing. It's the arid soil and yet it flourishes. And hope awakening beyond our uncertainty seemed a bleak future. Two widows with nothing. And yet the story turns beautifully, wonderfully. And it's all part of God's greater providence, which in a moment we are going to sing. I give you a proverb. It's easy to remember. I put it like it's the baker's dozen. That's 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. It's a great proverb. Ruth would have embraced that. Naomi experienced it. And Boaz becomes the beneficiary of greater blessing. Even at a time in life when he probably had settled down and thinking that maybe married life was not for him. It's a lovely story. It's full of grace and full of God's blessing.